0: Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Christian Church Podcast. Crossroads is a multicultural gospel-centered church serving the Bay Ridge and Sunset Park neighborhoods of Brooklyn, New York. If you would like to learn more about our faith community, please visit crossroadsbrooklyn.com. Mark Twain, who doesn't love a good Mark Twain quote, said that clothes make the man. And then he added, because of course, naked people have little or no influence on society. You can see, you can tell a lot about someone by the way that they dress. You may remember when you were in high school. You could tell the skateboard kids by the way they dress. They wore, when I was in high school, they wore the baggy, we called them jinkos, jeans with the Airwalk shoes, and they had the wallet chains. They were the skateboarders. Then you had the nerds, you know, if you watch like Saved by the Bell, it was the guys with the tape on their glasses, and you can tell their hobbies were like studying science. That's what they do. And you can tell a lot about someone by the way they dress. You can tell somebody's profession a lot of times by the way they dress. If someone's wearing a white coat you know that they're either a doctor or a pharmacist or a nurse. If someone's wearing boots and flannel and a thick beard, they are a lumberjack or they are a Williamsburg native. I saw an article on NPR's music website a couple of months back and it was a quiz. I'm always a sucker for the quizzes that you guys share On social media. And the quiz was: guess the genre of music based on the artist's shoes. And it was just a picture of their shoes. And you're like, that's definitely Michael Jackson, the loafers with the white socks. So you can you can tell a lot by the way that someone dresses. And in Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul uses the metaphor of clothing. To call us to a life of holiness and to show us a picture of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. These are the clothes, metaphorically speaking, that a Christian would wear. And he uses Colossians 3 to call us to take off the clothing of sin and to put on the clothing of Jesus as we follow on the path of following him. He says in Colossians 3, verse 9, our text for this morning. He says, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and that you have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And then in verse 12, he says, Put on then, take off these things, and now put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, and here's our focus for today, gentleness, and patience. When I was in college, please don't judge me, but I was in a fraternity. And uh, one of the guys in my fraternity, his name was Brian Krogsgaard, and he was running for SGA president. And when your, ne- Nick, when your initials are BK, you know, you're the theme of your campaign has to be, at that time, back in the early 2000s, have it your way with BK, playing on the old Burger King thing. And so his campaign was, have it your way with BK, um, vote for Brian Krogsgaard for SGA president. And as his friend, I, and one of working on his campaign staff, I said, you know what, we should get one of those creepy Burger King costumes. And so we raised the money and bought one of those legit, you remember the commercials? The creepy Burger King. We got, the, got that costume with the big helmet, the head, and the cape and everything. And I said, I volunteered. I said, well, if nobody else is going to do it, I'll be the guy who wears the Burger King costume and scares people all around campus. I'll be happy to do that. No problem. So I put on the Burger King costume. And this crazy thing happened when I put on the costume. I immediately was just absorbed into the character of the creepy Burger King. And so I had the flyers that, the, the, that said, vote for Brian Krogsgaard. And I would get behind bushes and I would jump out from bushes on campus and scare people and hand people a flyer and be like, vote for Brian. You know. And it was awesome. I loved it. And I was doing the, all the moves and everything. And then one day, I... <clears throat> Thought it would be great if I got on a bike and rode around campus in this thing. And so, where I went to school, we had this thing called the concourse, which is where all the students let out in between classes. And there were—I went to a large public university, state university. There were about, I mean, there were thousands of people out on this concourse in between classes. And so, I thought now would be a perfect time to ride my bike in this costume with the cape flying and everything. And so, I'm doing laps around the concourse, laps around kind of the the quad or whatever. And I see. Our rival, the guy who's running against my friend, and he's talking, he's campaigning, talking to other students, and I think. I'm about to shut this guy down. He's trying to steal votes from us. And he was talking about, there was about four feet in between him and the person he was talking to. And I thought, that's plenty of room for me to pop a wheelie and ride a wheelie right in between them as I do that. And so I thought, oh, this is perfect. And so I'm I'm riding and I see him, I pop the wheelie and I'm like, you know, doing it like riding it like this. And As I ride right through him, it was perfect. But then the cape swung around my shoulder and blinded me for a moment. The handlebars went sideways. I came down and went shoulder first over the bike and ripped the costume up. I'm bloody and everything. And if you remember the king's special move, as sore and as humiliated as I was, I got up and did the the Burger King move. (laughs) I just wanted to tell that story, to be quite honest. (laughs) But the point is this. When I put on that costume, I, when I dressed up like the Burger King, I took on his character fully. And so I took on his attributes, and I was creepy, and I was scary, and I would hide behind bushes, and I would pop wheelies in between uh, you know, our, the other candidates, and I would do all those things. I would never do those things if I wasn't in the costume, but when I put on the clothing of the king, I became like the king. And so here's the awesome transition. If you will clothe yourself like Christ, you will begin acting like him, becoming more like him. If you dress like the king, you will act like the king. And we've been studying the fruit of the Spirit. And today we look at the fruit of gentleness. And when it comes to the virtues listed in the fruit of the Spirit, which is in Galatians chapter 5, and it says the fruit of the Spirit, meaning if you possess the Spirit of God in your life and He's working in you, you will demonstrate these characteristics. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the point is not to simply develop these traits so that we become more pleasant people. The point of developing these traits is not so that we can be more self-fulfilled or that you can be a better you. The point of the fruit of the Spirit is by the Spirit of God that we can put on these characteristics so that we can become more like Jesus. We clothe ourselves with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And as we strive to be those things, as we strive to be gentle people, we are striving in the end to be more like Jesus by the Spirit of God. And so therefore, the fruit of the Spirit is like a new wardrobe that we put on as Christians to look more like our King. And so today we're looking at gentleness, being a gentle person. And it's so easy to say, I want to be gentle, but it's easier said than done because we live in a culture that is not very gentle. We live in a culture of aggression. And even more so, not just do we live in a wider culture that is aggressive. We live in a city that requires us to be aggressive, to be gritty, to hustle. I mean, we're like, our city beckons us to hustle, to never let our guard down. See, try being gentle at 8 a.m. on the train. You can't do it because it's, you got to fight for yourself. You got to fend for yourself. Think about, I learned very quickly when we moved to New York that you do not smile walking down the street because if you do, you will end up holding somebody's mixtape in your hand, right? Or you're going to be find yourself in a conversation with a dude in a red vest talking about his rickshaw tours of Central Park. So you keep your head down. You don't smile. Because if you smile in this city, you will be attacked. Someone's going to try to sell you something. Someone's going to try to give you something. And if you're going to survive in this city, you've got to be aggressive. You cannot be weak. See, our city knows so much about aggression but we know very, very little about gentleness. See, in other parts of the country, people only use their car horns for the worst of traffic offenses. But here, if, you, if I'm trying to turn left and you're walking slow across that crosswalk, I'm, that horn's coming. I drive a little Toyota Corolla, it's this little wimpy horn, but I'm gonna let you have it. If you don't press the gas, as soon as the light turns green, you're gonna, because I gotta be aggressive. I'm not gentle. This city has ruined me in that way. <laughs> So we walk, we, you've got to be aggressive in this city. So we walk around this city with clenched fists, with our heads down. Often we walk around suspicious of everyone. And this city fights us and our default is to fight back. But God wants to create in our hearts a spirit of gentleness. Because it is a life of gentleness and compassion that will ultimately bear witness and contrib- bear witness to and contribute to the work of God in the world and in our city. See, the fruit of the Spirit, gentleness included, is the very character of Jesus working in our lives and flowing through our lives to others. And so we are called to live like Christ in this aggressive city. We are called to live gently. But how do we cultivate a life of gentleness as the people of God in Brooklyn today? How do we do that? And the first thing we need to do is define gentleness and then look at how we can become gentle people by the Spirit of God. So what do I mean when I say gentleness? See, gentleness is an incredibly difficult word to translate in the Bible. You may know that the New Testament was originally written in Greek. And the word in Greek is "prow." And English translators actually have a very difficult time translating this word, and they actually translate it two ways in your New Testament, as gentleness and meekness. So when you read through the scriptures and you see the word meekness or meek, and you see the word gentle, it's actually the same word, just English translators have translated it, chosen to translate it in different ways. You may have heard in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, "'Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth.'" And the word is translated meekness here when the author has in mind an inward state. So when it's talking about humility or an inward state of being, the translators will will translate it as meekness. Um, And it is translated gentleness when it refers to outward living. So in James 1.21, it says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, The implanted word which is able to save your souls. That's an interior thing. Receive it because it's able to save your souls. Meekness, then, is about humility. Humbling yourself to receive the salvation of God. The scriptures teach that you cannot save yourself, therefore you need a savior. And without the humility to admit this, you can never know God and you can never experience his salvation. So meekness, then, is a true understanding of oneself, that you are a sinner and that you are undeserving of the love or the grace of God, yet you are loved and shown God's mercy, not because of anything you've done, but because of everything of who God is and what he has done. Blessed are the meek, Jesus says, and he means blessed are those who are humble enough to receive the love of God, knowing that they could never earn it themselves. That's meekness. But elsewhere it is translated as gentleness. Titus chapter 3 verse 2. It says, Speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling. Be gentle. And show perfect courtesy toward all people. 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25. It says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Able to teach. Patiently enduring evil. Correcting one's opponents with Gentleness. That God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. See, when gentleness is used, it's talking about how we treat others. So meekness is is a humility in understanding the undeserved love that God has given to us and the humility to receive that. Gentleness, then, is showing that undeserved love of God to others. The Greeks actually define gentleness as power under control. And I love this definition. See, gentleness is not weakness. This is many people misunderstand this. They think gentleness is being weak or soft or being passive. To be gentle is not to be trampled on. See, Jesus is gentle. Matthew eleven: Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Nobody would argue that Jesus is weak. Jesus is powerful. Therefore, that means that gentleness does not mean that you lack power, but rather it means that you know how to control and know how to use your power. So I've had to scream the words, Be gentle, many times in my house this week. I've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old and a baby that is just a few days old, and my five-year-old and three-year-old are beyond excited about their new baby sister. But what they don't understand is just how fragile little Annalise is. They don't understand how how fragile she is and how strong they are. And so when my little girl likes to hold her baby Annie, as she calls her, we have to say, oh, no, no, don't touch her head that hard. Don't squeeze her so hard. Or Israel, when he wants to pet her, he kind of like punches her. And we're like, don't do that. Be gentle. Be gentle. See, they want to kiss her too hard and hug her too hard. They stroke her head too hard. They don't understand that they are more powerful than her. And so for them to be gentle to her is not to be weak. But rather, it's to use their power in a way that to control their power so that it blesses Annie and doesn't hurt her. Or perhaps, think of a disease. I remember hearing my old track coach tell stories of his little brother or his older brother who had been diagnosed with polio and just the awful stories of what a disease that was. In polio, it was an epidemic back in the 1950s. Parents were afraid to send their children to school. They were afraid to send them out to play. And it was a disease that had the ability to control the disease. And when that disease was out of control, it had the ability to wreak havoc on someone's life. But that same disease under control actually eradicated polio. You may remember some of you folks that are older than me. I didn't say old. I just said older than me. Alive in the 50s. <laughs> the Salk vaccine was a small dose of polio. It was actually a small dose of polio that inoculated the body to the disease so that it could prevent someone from contracting, contracting it. So the way that you keep yourself from getting polio is getting a little shot of polio into your bloodstream. And your body then learns how to fight it and expels it and develops the defense, so to speak, to fight the polio, so that when the the, when the polio, if the disease comes in full force, your body already knows how to fight it. And so power, so the disease out of control is dangerous, but the disease under control is actually life-giving. Or think of if you like to garden. We live in the city, so not many of you probably garden, but if you've ever gardened, you know that watering flowers, you can't set your hose like on the the powerful nozzle setting. You can't take a fire hose to a bed of flowers. You'll kill the flowers. It'll kill them. It's too much. But if you lightly water the flowers, if you control the power from the hose, you can give life to those flowers. And see, we all have some level of power in our lives, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, whether it's in the church, whether it's on your softball team or wherever. But the question about gentleness is, will you use that power to lord it over others, to suppress them, or to minimize them, or to oppress them? Or will you use that power to bring life to those around you? And the reason that Paul wrote Galatians, which is the letter in which he calls for Christians to live the fruit of the Spirit, the reason he wrote the letter is because he was angry that certain people were abusing their power to control and manipulate others. And Paul was furious He was furious that in God's church there were people abusing their power to suppress and minimize people within the church. And the result was that people within the church felt controlled, they felt manipulated, they felt deceived, and many were being led astray from their faith. And Paul was heartbroken, he was angry, because he he knew that power without gentleness was tearing apart this church that he had helped build. And the world needs, we need to know this, the world needs gentle christians we live in a world like i said that is so aggressive it seems that everyone in our culture has adopted this worldview that says i'm right you're wrong and if you disagree with me you're an enemy that i must crush think about the political debates and conversations that we had over the last it felt like an eternity The idea, if you disagreed with me politically, it's not, I'm going to listen to your views, I'm going to listen to the nuance of what you're saying. No, I disagree with you, I'm going to crush you. You're my enemy. And this breeds itself into other areas of our lives. When you talk about politics, it gets nasty. When you talk about controversial moral issues, these things become a war zone. Religious and theological debates are often angry. And many of you may remember times in your life where people have been less than gentle with you. Children often say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And we know that's not true at all. It's the words that hurt the most. And so you may remember, I know you remember the hurtful words that have been spoken over you. You don't forget that stuff. You don't forget it. It goes deep, especially when a wound is given to you by someone who has power over you. When someone uses their power to hurt you and wound you. See, you, you can look back on your life and you can look back to the times when you needed a gentle voice, but instead you were crushed with harsh words of someone who had power over you. And every single one of us in this room have the power to wound and to heap shame on someone's life. And sometimes we're tempted to do that. Sometimes we're tempted to crush other people because it can be good for our careers. We call it playing the game. We can wound our coworker. We can knock them down a few notches so that we look better and we can elevate ourselves. Put someone in their place so that we can be elevated into theirs. Or perhaps sometimes we want to crush others out of retaliation. They did this to me, therefore I'm coming back at them twice as hard. That they hurt me, so I'm going to destroy them. And so the question for you this morning is, who are you tempted to crush today? An ex-lover? A coworker, A family member? Republicans? Democrats? Who are you tempted to crush? The culture around us tells us that we've got to play the game. An eye for an eye. To trample over others so that we can get ahead. That's the game that we're taught to play. But the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. And the Apostle Paul is trying to show us a different way of being human in the world today. We don't have to be subjected to the world's way of attacking and humiliating. We put on gentleness. Paul says in Colossians 3, he says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And so how do we put on the clothing of gentleness in our lives? We treat others with compassion first and foremost. And compassion is to see people with the eyes that God sees them with. To view people in the same way that God views them. So when someone is grating on your last nerve, when they're annoying you, or when someone hurts you, or when someone betrays you, or when someone lets you down, It's so easy to look on that person as someone, as an enemy that has to be destroyed and expelled from your life, or it's easy to look at them as a failure that can be dismissed. But the Scriptures and the life of Jesus call us to look on others with compassion, to bear with one another. We are called to see people as they are. And that is as fragile human beings made in God's image. And then we are called to treat them how God wants us to treat them, and that is with kindness, compassion, humility, patience, and gentleness. It doesn't matter how successful or how accomplished or how educated or how secure or how seemingly perfect someone else's life is. We are all fragile and we are all capable of being broken. And the Scriptures say that if someone is wounded or it says if someone is broken or caught in sin, we are to restore them gently, not dismiss them, not expel them, not retaliate against them, but to restore them gently. And to be a gentle person is to be someone who is safe to be around. And this is what I want for you. This is what I want for me. This is what I want for us collectively as a church, that we be a group of people, both collectively and individually, that are safe for people to be around. And that doesn't mean we stop preaching holiness or that we avoid talking about sin. It's possible to hold to faithfulness to the Scriptures and to be a safe place for sinners to come. See, sinners were attracted to Jesus. This is who Jesus attracted. In fact, it was the religious people that hated Jesus. It was the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the drunkards and the gluttons that were attracted to Jesus. So can we be people that are safe to be around so that we can earn the right to love them with the love and the gentleness of God? And so here are some diagnostic questions to gauge whether you're a gentle person. And I heard these from my friend, Rich Viotis, who's a pastor in Queens. A question to ask yourself, are you a gentle person, is do people openly confess their sin and their failures to you? Or are they afraid? Are they afraid to tell you their sins and their failures and their brokenness for fear that you might pounce on them? Or are people willing to come and share with you their lives? Another question is, are people drawn to you? And I don't mean are people drawn to you because of your attractiveness or your skill or your usefulness, but are people drawn to you because of your gentleness? Are people drawn to you because you are a gentle person? And so we must to put on gentleness, we must treat others with compassion, but we must also look to Jesus, who is the gentle Savior. So the question is: how do I become more gentle? And perhaps many of you are already making a resolution in your mind right now to say, you're saying in your head, I'm going to be more gentle this week. You're going to write it on a note card. You're going to put it on the mirror. Be more gentle this week. Be gentler. That's not going to work. It doesn't work. See, gentleness doesn't come through willpower, it comes through the gift of the Spirit of God working in your life. It doesn't come through a forceful command. In some ways, gentleness is more caught than taught. And here's what I mean. When my kids are fighting each other, my five-year-old, and my three-year-old, when they're screaming at each other and they're not sharing, and I don't think they know what sharing means. My, my daughter just thinks share means give it to me. And she's, share, share, and they're yelling at each other and he's hitting her. What I'm tempted to do in that moment is to scream back at them. Stop yelling! Stop fighting with your sibling. Any parent in here knows that doesn't work. You cannot match your child's intensity and hope that they'll bring it down a few notches. It doesn't work. The way to calm your kids down when they're fighting is not to command command them loudly and match their intensity, but rather it's to get down on my knees, stoop down to their eye level and speak softly, model gentleness for them and say, kids, you're killing me. Please, please stop fighting. That's not how we do things in this family. You, see, the kids pick, you set the tone. They pick up on gentleness by the way you act. Through observing more than they do by listening. And so this is the way it is when we observe the life of Jesus. Yes, He tells us to be gentle. But we catch gentleness by observing our Saviour. See, Jesus looked down, God looked down on His creation after He created us, and we were being aggressive with one another, we were killing each other, being prejudiced toward one another, rebelling against Him, rebelling against our Creator, choosing lesser gods, choosing lives of sin, walking in ways that that lead away from God. And God could have been justified in looking down on us and letting out a shout of justice, Stop! And He could have been justified in wiping us all out. But He did not match our intensity. But rather, He came with gentleness. He stooped down. And at Christmas, we celebrate the Incarnation. Jesus didn't come down like the Terminator ready with guns blazing, ready to destroy us all. Rather, He came as gently as you can come, as a newborn baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes. He came as a baby. That is a picture of gentleness. And He lived a humble life. He ministered to the marginalized, not to the elite and powerful. He never repaid evil for evil. And of course he was powerful. He was able to tell storms to be quiet and to tell diseases and sickness to leave people's bodies. He rose his best friend from the grave. But he was also he was powerful. But he controlled his power and he was gentle. And he stooped down and he washed the feet of cowards and betrayers and doubters and deniers and sinners. And when he was being crucified, he did not take anybody else down with him. He went to death forgiving his tormentors. You see, the gospel of Jesus is the message that God has every right to crush you. But in the person of Jesus, God was crushed for us. And instead of defeating his enemies, Jesus died for them to save them. And Jesus has been gentle to you and he's been gentle to me. And in light of this, the question we must ask this morning is where do you need to repent today? Where do you need to self-evaluate and discern in your life where you're being aggressive? Where you're using your power to trample on others? Where you're dreaming about destroying someone? Where do you need to repent this morning? Where are you harboring aggression? Where are you thinking about attacking someone Where in your heart is a deep-seated anger or bitterness or aggression that you need to let go of? Whatever anger or aggression you experience today, Jesus wants to set you free from it and let you release it and model His life of gentleness. Come to me, He says, all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That is the invitation of Jesus, to come to Him and then become like Him to others. The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. God, thank You so much for another day here in Brooklyn. Thank You so much for Your Scriptures that not only tell us how to live, but show us how to live. Thank you, God, for telling us that gentleness is the path to life, but also demonstrating gentleness to us in the person of Jesus. Thank you that you did not crush us, but rather you were crushed for us. Thank you for coming as a child humbly. You who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but rather you humbled yourself to become obedient, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. God, thank You for the gospel. Thank You for the cross. Thank You for the resurrection. Your power was on display in the resurrection, but Your gentleness was on display on the cross. And we're thankful for both. And so God, as we come and take the bread and the cup, We use this as a time to repent of our aggression, to repent of our deep-seated anger and bitterness, to let go of it and to lay it at your feet. And to trust that we don't have to retaliate. You are the judge and you bring justice to this earth. We don't have to do it ourselves, God. So we can let go of our anger. We can let go of the bitterness we have over those who have wronged us. We can let go of the aggression we have toward those who have betrayed us. We can let it go, put it at your feet, and forgive. And live our lives on the path to knowing you. And trusting that you will bring judgment and justice to those who have done wrong to us. And so God, we thank you for the gospel. And we thank you for your bread and your body that were broken and shed for us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.